This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt, your guide on this side. Welcome to the program, everybody. This is the show where we give you the tools, the ideas. The, we get you the pros, the best to explain what's going on in your world. They're on the show. Today, we'll be doing it again. We've got Dr. Jacob Hess joining us a little bit later to talk about mental health issues, help us understand what, uh, you know, how to how to proceed if you if you know you're suffering from some form of mental health issues some depression anxiety what are you supposed to do about it and let's try to just understand what's uh what it really means to have a mental health issue i think a lot of us just think that oh you're going to be a mass murderer not the case folks not the case so uh, we'll be talking with him a little bit later today dr jacob hess will be in studio with us but uh, before we get there hey if you've got a kid playing a video game in your basement or if you ever wanted to be a pilot, the Air Force needs you. Hello, Air Force is offering bonuses to lure drone pilots, folks. If you finish your initial commitment to the Air Force, you could get $15,000 every year for five or nine years. Ha! On top of your salary, right? We hear about drones all the time. But did you know that, uh, you know, Air Force needs pilots? Drone pilots, for heaven's sakes. So when your kid's downstairs playing video games, just softening his brain, as we all think they are, just making it squishy and soft, (laughs) he may actually be preparing himself for a great career. On average, drone pilots fly up to 900 hours a year, compared with fighter pilots who are in the cockpit an average of 250 hours a year. So you get to work more. You don't have to risk dying. You get to sit in some place wherever they fly a drone from. Nevada. Is that where they fly it from? Some of them. There's trailers in Nevada. I mean, how cool is that? But I guess you could launch a drone anywhere but be sitting in a trailer in Nevada. Yeah. And then at night you can go to a buffet. Well, sometimes they ship you over to Yemen or something. Mm, I'd rather stay in Vegas. Right. And maybe it's not in Vegas. I, and then you go to the buffet. All you can eat. Catch a show. Catch a show. Go home. Wake up the next morning. Bada boom, bada bing. Fly a few more missions. Worst thing that happens to you in the middle of combat, you lose a drone. Maybe some carpal tunnel. Yeah. Got to get carpal tunnel surgery. You got to wear those funny little braces that you have to wear. Not a bad deal. Drone pilots, folks. So if you've got a, if you've got a, you know, I don't know, a 20 something year old kid sitting in your basement today playing video games. One problem, though. What? You don't fly a drone like you would fly an airplane in a video game. Oh, you don't? Because the drone is really level, slow, yeah. plotting. Oh, no, yeah, right. Or a video game is your barrel rolls and, you know, dogfights yeah, and all I mean, that you stuff. can go home and video game play. Well, yeah. So this is just, you know, it's like driving the bus. Yeah. <laughs> you just drive the bus. You got to stay on the With road, a pick hell, people hellfire up. Hellfire missile hanging off the bottom yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bus. Then you go drop your missile, fly home. Boom, land your plane, I guess, then hit the buffet and a show. It's not a bad gig. Two for one on lobster. Two for one. Oh, all a you can deal. eat. All it's a good deal. Eat. Something to look forward to. So 
if don't don't be afraid if your kid's down in your basement just vegging. Just take him to a Air Force recruiter. He's good at video <laughs> games. <laughs> don't even take him to the recruiter. Just call the recruiter. They'll show up. Just put him out on the curb. He'll drop by, pick up your kid, and I mean, really, that's a pretty cool deal. <laughs> pretty cool deal. And again, if it's in Vegas, that's great. If you go to the Yemen office, that's different. Yeah. Totally different. Anyway, we're here to help you get a job and to help your kids get jobs, too. So we'll keep our eyes out for other great uh, Air Force opportunities or any any job, really, opportunity. But uh, before we go any further, we've got to go to our great news uh, filling in. Yes. Terry South for Kathy Aiken on the headlines. During a lengthy press conference on Wednesday, President Obama said that while he fully expects a robust domestic debate over his nuclear deal with Iran, there were there are only two options in preventing Iran from creating a bomb, diplomacy or force. Here's the president talking about his deal. I can say with confidence, but more importantly, nuclear experts can say with confidence that Iran will not be in a position to develop a nuclear bomb. We will have met our number one priority. The president also challenged his critics to read the Iranian deal, him, the deal with Iran themselves and respond to the facts rather than misinformation while redoubling his promise to keep pressure on Iran for terrorism and human rights violation. He was, no one has presented to me or the American people a better alternative, he said, and I'm hearing a lot of talk that this is a bad deal. What I haven't heard is what is your preferred alternative? Congress has 60 days to review the deal. Obama has vowed to veto any legislation that prevents the successful implementation of the agreement, of the agreement which restricts Iran's nuclear capabilities in exchange for lifting punishing sanctions on the country. Jeb Bush is crushing Hillary Clinton in the 2016 money race, apparently. Wednesday was the deadline for the 2016 campaigns to file financial records with the Federal Elections Commission, and two things are already apparent. There will be a lot of money in the presidential race. Jeb Bush is pulling ahead, thanks to mostly to his super PAC, Right to Rise. Bush and the Republican uh, former governor of Florida has raised $11.4 million in 16 days as an official candidate, $9.6 million from people who maxed out their donations at $2,700, and Right to Rise said last week it has raked in $103 million bringing Bush's total so far to $119 million. Altogether, Republican candidates have brought in more than $280 million for an election 16 months away. Hillary Clinton and Democrat, the Democratic frontrunner has a total of $71.5 million, $47 million in contributions directly to her campaign, $24 million to uh, allied super PACs. Bernie Sanders from Vermont, Clinton's closest rival for the nomination for the Democratic side, has brought in $15 million. So far, President George H.W. Bush, 91 years old, fell at his home in Kennebunkport, Maine, breaking a vertebrae in his neck. His spokesperson says he was hospitalized, but the break was not life-threatening. Also said that Bush will be treated with a neck brace and is expected to have a short stay at the hospital. NASA unveiled several new photos of Pluto and its moons on Wednesday, courtesy of the New Horizons spacecraft, the as it flew by Pluto earlier this week, a close-up of Pluto's equator region surprisingly shows no impact craters, indicating the surface is less than 100 million years old. One of the youngest surfaces ever seen in the solar system. Also, photos show the mountains likely composed of water and ice as high as the Rocky Mountains. So really, really high. Wow. Also, the fo- they had photos of the, the two moons, Hydra and uh, Chiron or Chiron. There's two uh, moons. They have I, you could be either one. 
Chiron, Chiron. So it's interesting. There's no LeBron. Im- that could be LeBron. There's no impact crater showing that the surface is active. Meaning it's not a dead planet. Something's moving around. and Or there's like some groundskeeper. Could be. Someone's out there with a broom. Broom. Cleaning up the impact up. craters. That's great. Um, I saw this. Thought maybe you'd be interested yeah. in this. I'm not sure why, but it seemed to. Uh-oh. Every time you do at. this, it seems offensive. Under a new state law under California, in California, Governor Jerry Brown Wednesday signed professional cheerleaders are guaranteed at least minimum wage, oh, yeah. workers' compensation, and other labor protections. The measure designates the athletes as employees under state law and was spurred by lawsuits from cheerleaders accusing their employers, including uh, the Oakland Raiders and the Buffalo Bills, Mm. of withholding pay, refusing to reimburse mandatory expenses and other labor violations. The law goes into effect next uh, January 1st. Governor Brown's going after the cheerleader vote. So cheerleaders have rights too. Isn't that interesting? Because you would think they would. But part of the idea is... Are they necessary enough to pay? Because aren't, aren't a lot of them just volunteer? I mean, don't they? They don't necessarily get paid, do they? It it I, some of them are paid by appearance. Yeah. So when they show up to a game, that's how they make. Yeah, their yeah. Money. You make like a a fee. It's like an yeah. entertainer fee. Yeah. Instead of having a salary, and so, so yeah, and yeah, they want to be employed. They want to be seen as employees, not just like so it seems 1099. Like, it's like a part time job. Yeah, it's like Ben. Yeah. Right. I mean, Ben's Ben's here for more entertainment value. Then maybe. Hold on. What? What? Who? <laughs> anyway. So no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying he's like a cheerleader. No, more of a clown situation. More like an entertainer. Yeah. Yeah, clown. That's. I mean, that could be taken. Well, I mean the positive. Yeah, form the, like of the positive clown. form of not yeah. the negative use of a clown. Yeah, it's not like hey, you're a clown. It's, no, hey, you're that's a clown. Rude. It's like hey. Yeah. <laughs> I can make your life living. <laughs> Oh, Ben's going to start wow. pushing buttons. Threats. Anyway, uh, that's good news, I guess. Um, didn't I didn't even know there was a problem there? But yeah, let's get let's get everyone taken care of. Um, isn't life funny? We are, you know, from getting a job as a drone pilot to to being a cheerleader. Everybody needs somebody to look after him. That's why we're here on the show to give you the tools. Even Ben needs someone to look after him, and we're here for that too, Ben. Hey, uh, we got a great guest coming up. Jacob Hess will be joining us. Dr. Jacob Hess uh, from the website alloflife.org. He's here to help us, you know, broaden our conversation about mental health. You know, we, we one thing is being said by, like, the scholars that study it, but then what we kind of know in popular culture about what is mental health, what isn't a mental health issue, we just want to educate you, give you the tools and, and it's a big deal when you think about it. I mean, even right now, there is a, a trial just finishing up in Colorado with the, the movie theater shooter, that man that sh- shot up, James Holmes, that shot 70, injured 70 people and killed um, 12 people. He's, he's, now, he's now in court, and they're trying to decide if he's mentally ill and uh, if he had, was of sane health and mind when he committed those atrocities. So we throw this stuff out there all the time. You hear it in the news all the time. We're going to just go a little bit deeper, try to understand better mental health. What is it? And uh, what should we be doing with just some basic issues of mental health? We'll be getting to that with Dr. Jacob Hess up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're talking with Dr. Jacob Hess about uh, mental illness. Check out this. Do you uh, did you know that according to a National Alliance study on mental health, one in four, so about fifty eight million American adults, experience symptoms uh, of some some mental health issue, some mental health uh, problem, I guess. So the problem is we don't necessarily understand it, whether it's depression, anxiety, ADHD. Is it just being stressed out? Uh, And then we hear other extreme stories in the news like, uh, you know, somebody that was schizophrenic or somebody that was bipolar. And you hear all of these terms thrown around and we don't necessarily know what they mean. And, And as part of it, just because of the news cycles, we don't usually get a really good understanding of it. So I wanted to take kind of a more in-depth approach and bring on Dr. Jacob Hess, who uh, is a, has his doctorate degree in clinical community psychology from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And uh, he also used to work with the research, he was a research director at Utah Youth Village, a nonprofit for abused children in Utah. He's also the co-founder of the website alloflife.org. Um, which is, you know, designed to kind of broaden our conversations and also start offering online help and resources for those that are just trying to understand their own mental health. Jacob Hess, thanks for being here. Yeah. It's great to have you here. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about mental health? What do you see out there? Just as a professional looking at the world, what, what do we, where do we get it not quite right? I think it's great to start with uh, misconceptions of the brain. Yeah. Um, because there is a perception. And I, I appreciate uh, one of the things I'm hearing from you is that we don't understand this as much as we yeah, think. not at all. There is a sense out there that science has figured it all out. Right. And we just need to all um, raise awareness about what the clear knowledge is. I think a little more humility in the face of all this that... Science is learning a lot, right? But, but there's so much we have to understand. I mean, mental health is a hard thing for science because it's, to some degree, to study it, a lot of it has to be reported and report based. But we're kind of biased in our own reporting of our own issues. Yeah, I mean, so just even getting the, the data that you might need is difficult. Yeah, so a, a little dose of humility would go a long way, but, but even a dose of hope. One of the things I found in my dissertation is people with depression or anxiety, they would be told by someone in authority that, number one, this is coming from a deficiency in the brain that you just Hmm. have, and it's in your DNA, and you're probably always going to have this. And I saw that story weighing people down when... You know, I was studying with neuroscientists who who were you know top neuroscientists in the nation. They didn't believe that. I know. Like you, we've talked about that. You know it's the neuroscience. Crazy. So the first misconception I always go to is is this misconception about the brain being just permanently deficient. Mm-hmm. But there's no good evidence for that. And so, you know, I, I wish I could be a a missionary to just go out and say, you know, do you have, do you struggle with mental health problems? Did you know? Because being down doesn't just mean it doesn't mean mean you have a chemical issue or an imbalance. Being angry or anxious, being a little forgetful, this is this is this isn't just like oh yep you got it you well, got it. And there's definitely chemical things going on. There's 
the body is definitely involved in all of this. Mm-hmm. But the message that one of the things we talk about in our online class is the evidence of the changeability of the brain and even how uh, genes manifest differently depending on our environment. So there's more yeah. of a fluidity and a changeability. It doesn't mean, hey, just look at go and look at the sun and... Mm-hmm. Just don't worry. Be happy. It's not that. Yeah, it's not just be positive. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I teach a mindfulness-based stress reduction class for people who are stressed out of their minds. When we get in a certain funk, mm-hmm. you know, I have family members who are, you know, after a certain amount of chronic stress, you, your body can get to a place where you're just... Numb. You're numb. You're hit with depression, panic attacks. That's not something that's going to change overnight. Right. But just an understanding that it's possible to move in a direction where the brain, the body, the hormones begin to shift and move. Most people don't even know it's possible. So that's one of the things yeah. that I think if, if people understand you're dealing with something that's real, it involves the body, and that body over time, as you give it what it needs, as you give the mind what it needs, it can adapt and can yeah. kind of get it's back dynamic, to a healthy isn't it? place. Yeah. We we kind of think of it as like this static thing. You're just yeah, yeah, I've got depression. And this is still situational and even on a spectrum. I mean, you might you might be more impacted by your situation now, but then with some techniques and some abilities and skills, you can learn to mitigate it, manage it, so it's almost irrelevant. Yeah. Well, so I was giving a presentation on depression recovery um, last year, and a woman came up to me at the end in tears, and she told me that her friend, um, a mother of a couple of children, had been struggling with mental health challenges, and she'd gone and got some help, was on some medications, and, and they'd helped for a while, and then they they kind of stopped working and she was having a lot of side effects. So she went to the psychiatrist and said, I, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this. You know, it's affecting my marriage, kind of some sexual side effects. And she asked the psychiatrist kind of for some help. And the psychiatrist told her, this is just what you have. And mm. this is just how your brain is. And you're going to need to likely be on these the rest of your life. She went out, wrote a note to her children and shot herself. Mm. So th- this yeah. is the story I want to shine some light on is the story that these problems are, number one, coming from a permanent problem. Number two, a reflection of who you are. Yeah. You know, when my brother had cancer, we didn't say, you know, you are lymphoma. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I regularly hear people describing their child as my child is mm-hmm. ADHD. My husband is bipolar. Yeah, that's their that's them. That is their identity. It's who you are and so it it becomes this thing that is more permanent and we can take it just as seriously, Matt, and talk about facing it. Mm-hmm. And you know, really like how do I respond to this strong tendency for my emotions to go up and down. It's a very serious thing that we can do. Yeah. We can, we can take just as seriously paying more careful attention to the language we use, I think would go a long way. I think that's that's powerful, especially, again, we've had some guests on the show that talked about it, researchers that basically talked about the fact that they don't know what causes depression, actually. They didn't know. They don't know yet. 
In fact, it, that, and that's stated everywhere. And yet the stories we tell are that you have a chemical imbalance. Yeah, let's talk about that because um, we're, it seems like we're always looking for the cause. Yeah, yeah, right? we want that solution. The, well, we need the pill. What's the cause, <laughs> right. what's the cause of ADHD? Yeah. We've looked at 3,000 different studies on ADHD. If you go to the medical literature and search for contributor mm-hmm. ADHD, like risk factor ADHD, pulls up 3,000 studies. Holy cow. And if you sort them out, what you find is a spectrum. A spectrum. Of all sorts of contributors. Mm-hmm. So, um, Which is interesting because if you happen to be falling into that one of, those, one of the areas of that spectrum, you have ADD. But the next week, you could actually be more balanced and more focused because you eliminated stressors and you got into school again and your schedule's normal. And it's absolutely right. It's good news. Now all of a sudden, like now you don't have ADD. Well, it, <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Th- that's that's good news. So it's, if it's true that there's a lot of contributors, yeah. then there's a lot of things that we can take that's a look right. at. And you'll come in and out of it. It's dynamic. It's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So so some of the most exciting things happening in mental health for me are are instead of saying just are you in this category or not? Where do you fall on the spectrum of attentiveness? Mm. And if we could have a spectrum of, you know, depression, anxiety, all the way to I feel blissed out. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you on this spectrum? And understanding that you can move on that depending on lots of things. Yeah. If you're going through relationship trauma, just breathing the air on the Wasatch front for a couple of years yeah. is a risk factor for right. depression. I believe it. So In the inversion and the, yeah. Yeah, our perspective is let's put all those risk factors on the table, Matt, mm. and then help people say, which of these are potentially contributing to my situation? And so we have online questionnaires you can fill out and just kind of look at your situation. One woman in our class uh, filled out our questionnaire and at the end of, of the first class, she said, I have nine risk factors for depression. She was thrilled. And <laughs> now, I'm like, why? Why are why you, are you thrilled? thrilled? And I think, Matt, it was because for the first time in 10 years of fighting depression, she was more aware yeah. that, oh my goodness, all these things might be contributing. I could actually do something about so start this. influencing it. Yeah, and one of them is certainly the body. Mm-hmm. You know, We know that the brain, the body... Uh, inflammation in the body is now being connected to depression. So if just like just like if you have the cold or the mm-hmm. flu, your body's inflamed. So uh, there's all sorts of things that could be going on in the body as well. And how powerful when you finally realize that there's risk factors, those things you have control over, and once you're taking some control of it, then yeah, then you're not doomed, right? You're not just doomed forever yeah. to be pegged with the depression problem. We're talking with Dr. Jacob Hess. And we're going to take a break, come back. Again, his website is alloflife.org. And we'll come back, be giving you some tools, some ideas about this spectrum and about uh, what we can start to do if we even, even if you just start feeling a little down. Don't always peg it to depression. You just might be having an experience of feeling down. We'll get some ideas for tools to be more aware and, uh, and maybe actually more attuned to our own bodies. Also, let's start changing our language about uh, the mental health world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. We'll take a break again with Dr. Jacob Hess.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Dr. Jacob Hess, co-founder of All of Life. And if you go to alloflife.org, you can find his website. He's trying to broaden the discussion of, uh, of what is mental illness to more than just a diagnosis. You know, you're depressed, you're anxious, ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenic, all these titles we throw out there, these labels, to maybe something more of just a spectrum where of wellness, of health, where we can just understand each other and um, and understand, too, that this is a, dy- a dynamic thing, that our bodies will change and things come and they go. Uh, but Dr. Hess um, studied a, a clinical and community psychology, got his Ph.D. from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, also was a research director at the Utah Youth Village, and um, had some work that he's been doing on liberal conservative dialogue with Phil Neisser uh, from State University of New York. That was featured on NPR, This American Life. So he's been a very, very busy man. He's here to help us broaden maybe the discussion, to open up the discussion of mental health a little bit more. Thanks again, Dr. Jacob Hess, for being here. Yeah, It's a... uh, it is an interesting discussion because you, you like to, instead of just kind of making it a label, you like to kind of focus on the fact that there's, what you call them, indicators, drivers. There's, there's certain things that might lead you to be more depressed. And each one of those has solutions, ideas, tools, things that you can do to mitigate depression, for example. Is that the technique you use all, in, in all of mental health? Can that be used in all of mental health? It's something that we're exploring right now. And 95% of questionnaires you take on depression focus on your symptoms. Yeah. And we've looked at 400 different questionnaires. Very few are paying any attention to risk factors. So Mm. on our website, you can download a risk factor protocol with about 120 questions. And it looks at all sorts of areas. Um, I was at a conference in Chicago on ADHD and uh, this old psychiatrist was presenting some of his concerns with long-term Ritalin use. So, mm. you know, these medications might help a uh, child stabilize. They're, they're often being used for like a decade. And someone raised their hand in the back and said, well, if we don't use this this for a decade, you know, what, what are we going to do? Yeah, what do you then do? And he, and he had this baffled look on his face and he said, all of life. Nature, exercise, nutrition, relationships—you know, sunlight. Yeah. All of the like, other options. Like, like, in other words, have we lost our imagination at what, what, how, how many things can help? And mm. so, what we've found is the medical literature itself. You don't have to be some new age hippie to believe this. Right. The medical literature on ADHD is is chock full. Of, contribu- of studies looking at contributors to chronic inattentiveness. And you could start today and begin reading depression studies mm-hmm. and never, you know, you could be 95 in the nursing home and, and, and be like <laughs> and a, not a third of the way through. Just the, we, what we, you know, the further light and knowledge yeah. that we are learning about these is, is hopeful. So what we like to do is, that woman who has nine risk factors for depression can now sit down and make a tailored plan for her to set her on a path yeah. towards sustainable recovery. You know, we're talking about sustainable environmental practices in our country. We'd like to talk about sustainable healing practices. How do 
great it's great if we stabilize and we manage symptoms don't have sure. a problem with that but how do we move in a direction so that our brain our body our mind are moving towards a sustainable recovery well and it sounds like you're saying <laughs> though too and the expert becomes the patient not the doctor the the expert of my body should be me if i'm aware and i understand what the what the indicators are. Perfect. Yeah, and then and, I can own it. Yeah, and if you want to listen, you know, if you want to reach out to any professionals you trust, great as a part of your plan. But make it um, your own intuition, your mm-hmm. own gut sense that guides it. Fight the new drug. I uh, also have done some work for them. They have an online class that takes the same approach. Let's look at all the different potential contributors to pornography addiction, and let's make a plan that goes beyond just the white knuckle. Uh-huh. Look at all and, and sleep and exercise. Isn't it amazing? They all feed into these. But what if I can't right? take my pill today? Well, the, what's amazing about like even ADHD is or just find a passion. If you find something you're absolutely passionate about, you might be able to that might be the only thing you can totally focus on. And so what's amazing about that is okay, so passion helps. Absolutely. Vision helps. Absolutely. Taking breaks helps. Absolutely. I mean th- th- that's what what did we do forever before we had pharmaceuticals? We used to figure out other ways. And yeah. and it doesn't mean that they don't help, but it also doesn't mean that everything is needs the pill. That's right. And, and permanently. And, Somebody might need it even for a moment to yeah. dig them out of a hole. Yeah, and when we use it, we use it thoughtfully and selectively right. as a part of a package. So this is not about being pro or anti-drug. Right. It's about can we be thoughtful and we use it for a time and then we taper down. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's a big on-ramp for meds and, and a very small off-ramp. Yeah. So how do we how we use them thoughtfully? I want to go back. You know, you mentioned one in four people yeah. struggle. I would love to get to a point where we just say four in four people. Everybody. Suffers emotionally to some degree. Like, I don't know anyone in right. my life that doesn't. Just the world we live in. And, you know, the mindfulness perspective is that human beings suffer. It's part of the game. And... If it gets so intense that we want to give it a label, a diagnosis, I don't have a, we don't have a problem with that. Let's take it very seriously and understand that those people are not some kind of subclass of human mm-hmm. beings that struggle a lot. That's the know? problem, huh? Because we kind of classify them as sick. Yeah. They're no, different. Just to say we're all on this spectrum. And, you know, from a mindfulness perspective, attentiveness is something going back to attention attentiveness is something that can is trainable mm-hmm. and we're all on this spectrum and most americans from a, a, a mindfulness perspective are attention deficit oh yeah <laughs> just oh, because yeah. of the culture we right live. and we're so distractible aren't we and so, we're so not into the now yeah so we can we can say you know where is my level of attentiveness and what can i do to help move it in a direction you know, and I'm feeling really sorrow. I'm feeling a lot of sadness and heaviness. And I have a friend right now who's moving towards depression, and we all know that. And so we're trying to make a plan of anything that we can do to help her move in another direction. So so rather than, oh, my gosh, I think Boink, she's got you it. have this. I think this is who, who, you know, I think you are bipolar. Yeah. Let's Let's say... You know, you really do have a tendency to go up and down emotionally. This is a real thing. And mm-hmm. the contemplative t- traditions have been training the mind to be stable for 2,500 years. <laughs> this is not just some, yeah. you know, if, if, if you want to use pharmacologically some ways to do it, great. And look at the whole picture. 
So and drive it from. I love the idea because it's it, it puts the onus on you to understand the the drivers, take off the restrainer. I mean, you know, add more drivers if you need it. Remove some restrainers. Learn your system. Absolutely, and, it's and powerful. Ma- make it an adventure, an experiment, uh, and don't let anybody tell you that that um, your fate is sealed. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't believe we should ever predict the recovery of another person. Right. I've heard too many stories uh. of people that were told this is going to be your life. Like th- you're going to face this stress. And I'm like, who? You know, where are they getting this seer stone mm-hmm. or this? You know, this. This magical ball to see what somebody's future is going to be. Uh, all the evidence I see in neuroscience and clinical outcomes and the risk factor literature suggests a very optimistic picture, including for schizophrenia, including for bipolar disorder. I often hear people say, well, if, you, if your mental health challenge is mild enough, yeah, uh-huh. it could resolve. No, 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 no. Long-term studies of schizophrenia show the majority of people going on to lasting recovery if that's true for madness yeah what about this other stuff so yeah. so we have people being told this is just going to be your life and so we 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 just want to raise questions about possibilities and introduce new possibilities so that people can say you know whatever happens with my depression will happen but i want to i want to put a plan in place and move in a direction and see hmm. See what can happen. And some of this might be because we, in the news, we always hear about the extremes, right? So it's the extreme, the shooter that goes and kills people, and then we put a label on them, and then all of a sudden you get labeled the same thing. I mean, that's got to be traumatic. Like, I've got schizophrenia. Yeah. I'm a schizophrenic, just like the guy that shot people. I mean, the the thing about that I love what you're saying is it's the spectrum. There's and, and, and everybody's got some form. We're all in the spectrum, yet we all kind of look like we're outsiders looking in. There's a study in England that shows the majority of the English population reports hearing voices at some point in their lives. Really? So if you think about delusion yeah, yeah. and hallucinations, oh, you know, well, those people are the delusional ones. Well, honestly, uh, you know, any of us at different Anytime points. Anytime can, yeah. I dated a girl at BYU once. I thought she was in love with me, and I took her up on the mountains and read her a poem. <laughs> we got back, and she's like, uh, I, I'm not interested at all. And I, yeah. Was that delusional? I was There's deluded. <laughs> and sometimes I'm just totally not seeing what my my sweetheart needs. You know, like yeah. to talk about delusion is more of it. You know, the Buddhists talk about it as we're all born into delusion, and we're trying to all wake up. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this idea that we're all swimming in the same soup. Exactly. And you can you can label it if it helps you to label something great, and let's kind of be in this. Together. Yeah, if that's what you need. Yeah, but but the interesting thing is it doesn't always help me for you to label it, and I guess that's what's hard about it is because we have an industry, we have professionals that are trained, and they're trained to diagnose, and then they're usually trained in their specialty to move you toward mental health in their area, cognitively, behaviorally. I mean, there's so many different ways that everyone are trained and we all come at it from our trained way and we're all trying to make a dime still and help people yeah. and yet it's more complex we just need to believe it's more complex more complex more humility more hope what I- should we do uh, when you think about it jake what should we do with just the average if i have someone in my life what could i do to help Understand them, motivate, I mean, to get the help they need. Like you were talking about the friend that was moving toward depression. Yeah. What, what can I do? 
well, you know, when we have the flu, what do we do? Like, I cry, I I'm like, mope. Well, you know, we just say this is a special time when I, I need to do extra things to take care of my body. I would love if we approach these, these challenges not as crises, but as opportunities to make some adjustments to say, okay, I'm feeling depression coming on, feeling the signs. What can I do to begin to um, take more care to counteract this and kind of because what I see people doing is, oh, no, yeah, here, it comes, oh, here yeah. it comes. We panic about the panic. Yeah. We get depressed about the depression, and then we're spiraling down. So mm-hmm. if we can just learn to watch these these um, emotions, feelings coming on, and then respond in thoughtful ways based on what your intuition is. And for some people, that might be I, – I interviewed a man in Chicago who, who told me he, kn- he knows his recipe for madness. Hmm. When he begins to lose sleep – and he's working too much. He can feel himself moving Sliding. towards madness. So he has a, he knows what it takes to push yeah, in there. I love so that. he has certain things he knows. Like he stops working until he restores the sleep-wake cycle. He's got to get sleeping again. He just puts work to the side. Great. And gets his sleep going, you know. And for all of us, that might be a little different. Some people might be able to endure more sleepless nights than others. But mm-hmm. – but, or it might be food, or it might be relationships, oh, or it yeah. could be chronic stress. Mm-hmm. If you are under unrelenting chronic stress, that will push the brain for many of us into depression. Oh yeah, for all, for virtually anyone, uh, people who feel like, oh, I don't have any problems. So, if your stress is chronic, find a you know a way to decrease stress. Mindfulness based stress, or you know, like mindfulness can really move people in another direction. So is, and this is if we go to your website alloflife.org there is a free class that we that people can just sign up and take. 6 hours all you do is put your email in and we've interviewed 30 different professionals, mindfulness professionals, neuroscientists and just trying to raise possibilities so that people have it all on the table and then they can decide what they need. I love it. It's beautiful and also uh, just learn. I mean, if you just went and Google mindfulness on YouTube, you'll have 50,000 videos That's to watch right. about learning to meditate, to just to find peace, calm that, down. That's right. Understand yourself better. That's right. There's lots of resources. There's more and more in Utah. John Kabat-Zinn uh-huh. uh, has lot, lots of great writings. You know, I, I would throw this out as well, that a lot of people are told this med this medication needs to be your it needs to be forever. Yeah. I, I want to also point out, along with Jeff LaCasse, that the current research suggests that long-term people are worse off if they are on the meds forever. Um, so uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, anti-schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important that people have options so that the med is not the only thing yeah. that they're doing. Because I, off, off, I see ADHD, you know, kids facing ADHD with that the single thing. Mm-hmm. If that's all you got. So so let's create a package and if and when it's appropriate to taper off, you'll know mm-hmm. and you with your doctor's support, that can be an option. That's right. And a lot of people aren't being given that. It's like this is just so yeah. Deal with it. There's a lot yeah. of I love that. that possibilities. That, that philosophy just it just resonates too, because then it's it's a tool. It's not the only tool. And life is going to offer you hundreds of other tools, but yeah. you've got to be attentive enough to notice them yeah. and bring them into your life. That's right. And it's not a war about drugs. and whether It's about 
what feels right to you in this moment yeah. in the situation and, and don't let anybody pressure you <laughs> even if they have lots of letters after their name or even if they're your family member. <laughs> right. Really you get on this drug. Honor your yeah. sense of what you need mm-hmm. and if that's a medication, if it's not, if it's a meditation class, if it's like time off from work, you Something. create a plan. So we we encourage people to create a short-term plan if you're feeling like – like if You're it's hit, intense. Create a short-term plan just like you would with yeah. the flu. I got to I gotta really do some different things mm-hmm. these next two weeks. And then create a long-term plan. Once it. that kind of immediate uh, difficulty passes, what are you going to set in place long-term mm-hmm. to move in another direction? That's great. Dr. Jacob Hess, we appreciate you. Again, go to the website, alloflife.org. We're going to take a break, come back, do a quick uh, summary wrap-up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, trying to help you think a little more broadly about what is mental health Man, so much to take in. And honestly, we're all battling it, but we're battling it together. That's the good news. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. To me, what a powerful uh, conversation. Simply, we've got to re- we've got to reevaluate how we look at mental health. And Jake has, Jacob Hess brought up a great point. Everybody. So, if mental health is emotional distress, we all suffer it, and some suffer it more. Sure, but it does no good to just label them and then just medicate them. Now, somebody at an extreme level needs an extreme version of, uh, of a solution, right? They, they need to get on meds. They need help. And, but to think, folks, that our mental health practitioners are the key to your mental health, it's, it's a problem. That guy that uh, ended up shooting, James Holmes, who ended up shooting the people in Colorado, he was trying to call his mental health worker, and I guess that's part of the problem is if we think our mental health is dependent on um, on a group of practitioners, instead of me owning my mental health to some degree or another, again, there's extreme cases where you, they can't own their mental health. Um, I get that. Except the majority of us can. The vast majority of us should. And again, I've told time and time again on the show examples of people that know they have anxiety or they know they have some symptoms of depression. They know they are in a, a funk. They know that they can't dig themselves out, and yet they're still not doing anything. And it's not even just because they're depressed. Sometimes it's because they don't want to take meds. Okay, then don't take meds, but go do the other 150 things you can do which is maybe learning to meditate, which is maybe learning, finding a way to exercise or finding a way to, um, you know, go get biofeedback or finding a way to just reassess or reevaluate. There are other ways to do all of this. So just let's remember out there, don't just throw the labels around. If you are, if you have the symptoms of mental health uh, issues, don't take the full diagnosis. Yesterday on the show, we had a wonderful discussion about Alzheimer's and how complicated Alzheimer's is. And it's so complicated that 
It's not just something a pill is going to solve. And by the way, nor will mental health, nor is cancer. It's not just something that's just one pill, one problem, bada boom, bada bing. And I think we've all kind of bought into the model, maybe the pharmaceutical model or the pharmacological model that, yeah, we just need the pill. The pill takes care of everything. And it doesn't because in the end, your mind drives a lot of your mental health, right? So let's keep our options open. Stick with us on the show because we'll just keep bringing you more and more experts with different options, different tools to help you with depression, anxiety, you name it. We're going to take a break. Hour number one, it's in the can, my friends. Stick with us. Again, we can't do the show without you. Uh, Next hour, we'll be talking about relationships. Is it better to just fall in love instantly, or can you actually fall in love after four, five, six dates? How does that work? We'll talk about it up next on The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Doing what we can three hours a day to help you figure out your life. You know, it's easier, you know, to have your spouse figure out your life, but sometimes that doesn't go very well. Hey, do you believe in, in love at first sight? Every day we come here, Ben comes in talking about his next new girlfriend. Ah, yada, yada, this, loved her, this, I saw her at the gym, I'm in love, I'm going to marry her. Isn't that true, Benny? Well, I, I didn't think he'd go over the air, but oh yeah, I, I guess. Oh, yeah, we've got video of it, we'll be playing that in a few minutes. Uh, a little audio for you. The The problem is love at first sight, it's great. I mean, it's ideal, right? But apparently, what about love at fourth sight? Is that as good? So is is it possible to fall in love after your fourth conversation? And is that a better love or is love at first sight the the better love? The love where you know nothing about the person except they're hot. <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. We've got a great uh, guest that will be joining us that's actually done the research on it. Lucy Hunt will be joining us from the University of Texas, Austin. She's been involved in a study about, as a graduate uh, research assistant, about falling in love at first sight. Is, is that more like the storybook type, fairy tale yeah. type situation? Uh-huh. Whereas... The other one's probably more common. Yeah, and interestingly, okay. in the research, she found out, and it's even it's even dependent on if you're a male or a female. Ooh, w- women are more inclined, it appears, to actually start dating somebody that they weren't initially as attracted to, but fall in love with them and become more attracted to them than men are. And men are like, "I see you, therefore it should have. We yeah. should get married." Yeah, you're pretty. Okay, you are pretty. Um, that's well, men like, are more visual. Yeah. These are things that are, are not new, I think, but, uh, yeah, but that's in- interesting. But though. interestingly, it also says that it's it, you're, it's very possible to just get to know someone more and more and more and fall more in love with them. I've heard of that quite a bit. And, and, and you actually might find a better partner, maybe. Is that when you, you get people that on the surface you have no idea why they're together? Mm-hmm. They have nothing in common. Oh, yeah. 
My parents, for example. Yeah, and you're like, wow, how did you guys even find each other? I was uh, working with somebody the other day, a single person that really wants to date and get married, and he was showing me how he uses Tinder. Hmm. And um, Ben. We, it was no. Ben. It was Ben. And we sat down, and um, but he would he just sat there and showed me exactly how he t- chooses Tinder. Now some don't know what Tinder is, but Tinder brings a picture up of a person that's that's made themselves available to be judged. And you look at them and say yes or no, yes or no, right or left, yes or no, right or left. And if you like them, that you send them to the right, and if you swipe to the white, you swipe right. swipe to the right. And then if they swipe back because they find you attractive, then you guys you get a message to each other, and then you can communicate. Well, I watched him do it, and he just was like, he literally, this was his decision process. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yeah. Yep. Nope. 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 There you go. And I thought, well, maybe that's why you're not dating anybody, because you have this, you eliminate pretty much everybody. If you eliminate everybody from the option, then guess what? You're not going to have anybody. And so we just set a very simple rule with him. I want him to go into each one, even if he has an immediate nope, no, no. I want you to go through all the pictures, and I want you to read what they say, and I want you to look in their eyes on each picture. Okay. Then decide. Make a more informed, and rent, interestingly, we, second, uh-huh. split second And decision. we did that with him, and every one of them, like, so look at this one. Well, oh, no, no. Look at the next picture. No. And interesting, there was one woman that was brilliant. She had a, a picture that was kind of weird, like awkward with someone else, and you couldn't even tell which one's the one we're going for here. And then every picture through it, she actually got prettier and prettier. And her last picture, gorgeous. Like a glamour shot. So he, he would have chosen her last picture, but not her first picture. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? And I'm like, look so what there's you multiple missed. photographs on yeah, the. There's like five or five, I think. Huh. And on her sixth picture, she was like decked out, danced up, looking ready to go dancing. So are you recommending Tinder? No. Oh, okay. It's crazy. (laughs) But I am recommending just slow down. Slow down. And so even if you don't find this incredible attraction at first, that doesn't mean we can't go out on a date. If you find a lot in common, go out on a date. Maybe you'll fall in love. We'll be talking with Lucy Hunt in just a minute. But before we do that, let's get to Terry South, find out what's going on in the headlines. President Barack Obama fiercely defended his historic nuclear deal with Iran as he faced White House reporters Wednesday at a press conference. The president stressed the deal will meet national security interests of the U.S. and our allies because it will prevent Iran from getting a weapon. One criticism has been how the inspections will work. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Bibi, he explains. Look, there are two ways that Iran can proceed. If they cheat on the deal, that wouldn't be too hard because when you look at the inspection provisions in this uh, deal, it's not inspections anywhere, anytime. Uh, In fact, you have to give them not 24 hours notice inspecting a suspect site, but 24 days notice. The president counters with you just can't hide this kind of stuff. You have to have uh, a long lead time to actually be able to cheat in the way that the is the yeah. prime minister is saying here so you can't just the take long game. you can't take the you know the centrifuges and just hide them under a rug or something and then everyone comes in it, so the 24 days the president downplays it the israeli people are not yeah. they're kind of concerned about that so we'll have to see how that plays out obama went on to say that the deal eliminates every pathway 
to an Iranian nuclear weapon. The president also keenly is keenly aware that it will take work to convince U.S. lawmakers, especially those who have expressed deep skepticism, to support the agreement. They will have a 60-day <laughs> period, and this will go on for a while. Women boost Clinton's campaign war chest. Democratic presidential contender Hillary Clinton got an influx of cash in the first three months of her campaign thanks to her female supporters, representing more than 60% of the donors. A new campaign finance report shows more than 250,000 people contributed to the former Secretary of State, according to her campaign, and 61% were women. Hmm. They're on board. Looks that like that right there will get you elected. In other news, yeah. in true Donald Trump fashion, <laughs> the GOP presidential candidate sent out a press release Wednesday announcing that his net worth is now in excess of $10 billion, and this is all in caps. He's rich. Because he screams things. Yeah. He yells things. Yeah. A few weeks ago, Trump estimated his net worth being at $8.7 billion, and his campaign says that the increase of more than $1 billion is due to the rising value of real estate and holdings in New York, San Francisco, Miami, and other countries. Hmm. That'd be nice to have your net worth grow and Well, you'd think his network would be dropping with all of these other problems, Univision, NBC. Well. Pulling away. No. Macy's. He's like, eh. <laughs> Macy's, he goes, ah, oh, we made some ties. They're, they're made in China anyways. Ah, it's fine. Come on. <laughs> it kind of dismisses everything. In a statement, Trump's campaign said that he had filed his personal financial disclosures with the FEC, which had 30 days to review the documents before releasing to the public. One piece of information gleaned from his disclosures, he earned $213 million from NBC for 14 seasons of The Apprentice. Hmm. So... That's crazy. He said in his his announcement speech, he goes, you'll find out how much I made from NBC. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. $213 million over 14 years. Over 14 years. Wow. I want to be the apprentice. I want to be the apprentice. One of the seven FIFA officials arrested in Zurich as part of the corruption probe has been extradited to the United States. The Swiss Justice Ministry said on Thursday the Federal Office of Justice said the man, whom they did not identify, was extradited Wednesday. He was handed over to a three-man U.S. police escort in Zurich who accompanied him on a flight to New York. The official agreed last week to be extradited, unlike six others who are fighting extradition. The extradited man is accused of accepting bribes totaling millions of dollars in connection with the sale of marketing rights to various sports marketing firms and keeping the money for himself. Hmm. So we got one. Got one. There's six more. Take that are one waiting. down. <laughs> and uh, Harper Lee's new release novel, Ghost Set a Watchman, has yeah. set a new record for first day sales. In the uh, the adult fiction category at Barnes and Noble, a title previously held by Dan Brown's *The Lost Symbol*, hmm. uh, the novel, a sequel to the classic *To Kill a Mockingbird*, is on track to become the best-selling book of 2015 and is the most pre-ordered print tile, title on Amazon since the last Harry Potter book. Wow, that's not bad for a book they just found in the closet somewhere. It's the way they made it sound, right? They, oh, yeah. We just found this. We just pulled it out of the closet. That's great. It's right behind all those adult coloring books that we talked about yesterday. I know. See, what's amazing is yeah, it's probably number seven. What's amazing <laughs> is that it's this is this is finally this will be a movie. This will be a yeah. new script. Finally, a new script. Took thirty years of hiding or however long it was. That's amazing. That's cool. Well, good, good stuff. Good news. Hey, we got a great uh, guest coming up in just a few minutes. We will be talking about. The laws of attraction, and did you know that uh, the time and attraction, th- they have this weird correlation. 
How long do you need to know somebody? And the longer you know them, do they become more attractive to you or do they become less attractive to you? We'll be uh, talking with Lucy Hunt, who's a graduate research assistant at the University of Texas, Austin, and the first author on the study, Relational Mate Value. She's going to be walking us through uh, how our values and our beliefs about our mate change over time. It's an interesting, interesting study. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This will help you uh, learn to love and understand the power of time and love. We'll be talking about it up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you ever wonder how people stay in love after wrinkles start appearing? Maybe even when the teeth start falling out. It's pretty amazing, actually, isn't it? You know, in Match.com's 2012 annual survey, 33% of men and 43% of women answered yes when asked if they had ever fallen in love with someone they did not initially find attractive. So how does falling in love at first sight hold up against falling in love at maybe fourth or 20th sight? Joining us today is Lucy Hunt, a graduate research assistant at the University of Texas, Austin, and the first author on the study, Relational Mate Value. She's here to talk us about uh, how our values and our beliefs in our mate change over time. Lucy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me. You bet. What a fun uh, and I think fun, interesting study that you've that you've put together here about falling in love. Just kind of walk us through what what how how did you do your study, and what are some of the findings that you're that you're seeing? So, in some of my previous work, we found that um, agreement about how desirable a potential romantic a par- uh, partner is. Uh, so if you're evaluating your friends or people you just met, you know, how much agreement you have about, okay, are they a 7 out of 10? Are they a 4 out of 10? And in previous work, we found that as you get to know people over time, that agreement lessens. So you have more unique uh, romantic evaluations. Hmm. And so we thought, okay, there's something about time that matters. And so we thought, okay, maybe, you know, the length of time you know somebody before you be- become romantically involved for the first time, you know, maybe that has some bearing on, you know, matching. So in the field, we call it assortative mating, but it basically refers to the tendency to pair with somebody else who is similar, whether it's in attractiveness, in, you know, personality and demographic factors, uh, that sort of thing. Hmm. So it's interesting that as time goes on then, are you more in li- are you I guess you're just more likely to see who uh, who is more like you and then that makes it an authoritative pair? So I think what it is is just that whenever you're judging somebody else, you know, versus let's say a couch you're trying to buy, um, it's more subjective. And uh, because of this, I think over time you are going to encounter them in increasingly diverse or unique situations. You know, if I just see a guy across from the bar, I'm getting about the same information as every other female in that bar. Right. I get to know that guy, you know, through work or through a sports team or something, you know, his behavior, I can judge sort of differently. If he tells a joke, I might think that that's really charming, or I might think that it was, you know, an offensive joke or something. So, you know, two separate people can hear that joke, but then make a different um, evaluation. And those sort of different evaluations are just more likely to occur 
you know, as you get to know somebody over time. That's interesting. Does it does it say anything about the longevity of the relationship? Is it more successful by uh, by by knowing somebody longer before you marry them? Uh, so we did look at that. We wanted to see if there was a difference in uh, people's perceptions of how satisfied they were with their relationship, and we actually found no significant difference between people who paired up right away and those who were friends first or had known each other for a long period of time. So, you know, I think that says that there isn't one right way to pursue right. a partner. Um, you know, they you can just do it in different ways. There are different ways of doing it. That is, it, isn't this interesting? I mean, what, what made you want to get into this study, Lucy? What, how did you fall into this? So, when I first started graduate school, actually, uh, my advisor approached me about, hey, are you interested in mate value, which is the term that we used to say, okay, how desirable people are. And we kind you know, he kind of had the idea of, you know, there, we have finally a statistical way to analyze the amount of agreement or, you know, the amount of variance in people's evaluations. How much is that about the person doing the rating? How much of it is intrinsic to the individual being rated? How much of it is really unique? Yeah. And we kind of both felt that, when it comes to romantic relationships, we think that that does involve a lot of uniqueness. Um, I don't know about you, but when I walk down the street and I see a really mismatched seeming couple, that uh-huh. kind of makes you go, oh, like what's going uh-huh. on there? And often after you talk to them for a while, it is clear that they have some sort of chemistry. And so I guess I'm interested in sort of figuring out what that is and why you know, you see these sort of unique evaluations. Oh, I think, it's, I think it is. It's fascinating. I mean, we always kind of just throw it back to you know, if the mismatch is kind of a not a, a more homely man and a beautiful woman, we're like, oh, he's obviously rich. That's the problem. <laughs> but it's so we we chalk it up to these these things like that. But really, what your study's showing is that it may just be they knew each other for a long time, and there's a lot she's come to love about him. Yeah, you know, some people do kind of go straight for oh, there's some sort of trade off, but. At least in my work, I feel that it's not that people are saying, okay, I'll trade like attractiveness for something else. I think it's sort of more heartwarming or optimistic than that. I yeah. think that as you get this compatibility, you do see them as more attractive. And, you know, I think the point of this is that you don't need to be the hottest girl in school or the hottest guy in school or whatever, it's, but to find the one person who thinks you are attractive, intelligent, humorous, that sort of thing. That's and interesting. One. Yeah. So, and I, I I coach a lot of people on this, and it seems like so many times we we quickly try to just uh, you know you take them out of we look at somebody oh yeah they're not attractive oh no not them they have too many tattoos oh they have too few tattoos it's like are you kidding it's like we're just trying to find reasons not to be with somebody instead of just let just be with people just get to know people. Exactly. Um, you know, I think I, I think online dating and those apps are great, but the one problem with those sort of um, applications or technological uses for meeting partners is that you have a tendency to swipe too much, I would say. I was yeah. thinking of Tinder, I guess. Just over-swiping. And the most important thing is just to make face-to-face contact, I think, with as many people as possible. I and agree. you'll know pretty soon whether you have the click. But it's really, sometimes it's hard to pick up on, like, details that you don't even realize are important unless you do see them face-to-face. You know, there's only so much you can get out of a picture. That is so true. And and this, I, I was talking with a guy yesterday about exclusionary criteria. Try to get as many people in you're in your sampling as you can. Quit excluding everybody in your dating pool more and more and more. And then eye to eye. I love the idea of the eye to eye. Do you sense any difference in your study? Um, does it make a difference for couples falling 
out of love. Um, is there anything you've learned about that? These couples that maybe have fallen in love. Is there is there anything about your data or your research about why they they tend to maybe become less um, less enthusiastic about their partner over time? Uh, that's a that's a great question. And for my next you know for my next work, I would like to follow people longitudinally longitudinally, ideally from like right when they first meet or before through like the end or continuation of the relationship. My work so far has not looked at you know the falling out of love, uh, but you know there there's a lot of research going into predictors of disillusion, and I think um, what I usually take from most of that literature is. Regardless of what your objective, I would say, or self-rated evaluations on desirable traits like attractiveness, what's important is your partner's perception of you. So, you know, if that changes for the worse, but objectively you still stay the same, I would say that's much worse than, you know, the opposite. So, um, you know, I think pay attention to your partner. Um, You know, you can probably sense that things are going downhill. And if you can sense in yourself, oh, they're becoming less attractive to me in my eyes, that's probably a really bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? I mean, that, I guess that's part of this, huh? We, I think we think that, you know, once we've found the love, it's just there to stay. And yet it really is something that we have to keep working on and, and you know, kind of feeding, don't we? Oh, definitely. And I think, um, you know, there, there's been some work showing that people in general, at least, you know, in the United States, um, I can't speak to other countries, but we are expecting more out of our relationships, our romantic relationships, than, you know, even 50 years before. So I think that makes it even harder uh, to maintain uh, these positive perceptions, and that's why we sort of have to work even harder. Do you do you ever hear, I'm sure you do, well, you know, that's just settling. A guy shouldn't settle. I mean, you should be attracted in every way, shape, or form. And we don't. What do you when you hear people talk about settling? What I do you think, think? Yeah, I think settling is one of those things that that is again unique to the relationship. Um, I think you can be dating somebody who is again incredibly objectively desirable, but if you know they're not meeting your expectations and. Some people have lower expectations. Some people will have higher expectations. It's tied a lot to self-esteem. Um, but I think that that is, what, you know, if you have a friend telling you that you're settling, yeah, I would sort of listen to yourself. I'll obviously listen to yeah. your friends. But I think that is something that, like, maybe other people cannot judge as well. Mm. What uh, When you think about all of this uh, in your research and kind of what you've learned about time and the impact on how it, how it I guess, impacts our attraction what what do you think this will do to the dating rules does it change anything in how we date does it change what what would you kind of suggest to your family your friends when it comes to dating so i would say that um what i usually tell people is use online dating and tinder to find out who is in your area you know regardless of how amazing they are if you have to fly through hours to see them probably not the best idea to date them right now right. but after that once you find out who is in your area and is available make that face to face contact as soon as possible you know use meetup.com go on a go on a speed dating event uh, i think that that's the best way just to meet as many people as possible and uh, if you think that you are not objectively attractive to most people, you know, maybe try to initiate those relationships in so, sort of more friends-first contacts, so and maybe not always try to hit the bar on a Friday night, you know, maybe join a sports team or something like yeah. that. 
I mean, the the funny thing about your study basically says being kind of in the friend zone. Um, I mean, I guess unless you have like have been officially stamped as a friend, <laughs> uh, but being in the friend zone may not be so dangerous for you. It might be a chance for them to for you to kind of grow on people. I agree. I mean, there's a reason that you stay friends. You know, as you get to know someone better, you either like them a lot more or like them a lot less. They can go the other way. But if you stayed friends, chances are, you know, that they they at least like you as a friend. And I think that the friend zone, often that applies when just one or both of you happen to be in a relationship. And then if you stay friends for a while and then you're both single, like maybe something will happen. Um, so I think there is some truth to the friend zone. You know, I have long-term male friends that I... I mean, you know, you never know, but I, I could never, I wouldn't see myself with, but, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't know. When you don't know, do you? What would happen. I mean, because what if they got a PhD, then you'd be like, whoa, this guy's hot. <laughs> hey, he's a lot smarter than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's got brains. That is so great. Does, um, do you have any advice for people that, that, that need to cut bait? They need to be done. They've. They've hung on to this idyllic hope that this person would eventually like them, but it's just not happening. How do they know when the person just won't find them attractive? I mean, I'm saying this not you know out of theory, not out of practice, mm-hmm. but I think the best thing is to directly ask them. And yeah, if they say no, then I would say move on to somebody else. Um, a lot of my other work is interested in single people and why they're single and how they thrive versus not do so well. And um, how that parallels with relationship research is you do find that as people get into romantic relationships, they, do, they are not as good at maintaining ties with their friends versus people right. who are not. So I would say that um, whether you fall for somebody who it doesn't work out or you're pining after somebody new, just go out there and, you know, make make new friends, um, see new faces. And that's, that's great. usually the best way. Well, I, I think it's great advice and I think it's awesome research. Um, again, Lucy Hunt, thanks for joining us. Really cool insight. Keep it up. We, we need more and more information about this. Uh, relational mate value, folks. Lucy Hunt graduate research assistant at the University of Texas, Austin, and the first author on the study, Relational Mate Value. Cool stuff. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, I'll be doing a coach's corner, uh, going in-depth on uh, just some basic dating advice from uh, your coach, Dr. Matt. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after the break. To the Matt Townsend Show, doing a little Coach's Corner now where we're going to be talking about dating 101. You know, you you think it'd be a no-brainer. You just got to date. And in fact, it actually used to seem, it seems like now it used to be easier to date. A lot of the kids that I know, they don't even pair off one, you know, two by two. They, they go with groups. It's all group stuff. Everything's about group dating. Hanging out. Let's go hang out. Do you want to hang out? Now everyone's hanging out, but dating. You know, you may not be learning some of the the skills you need to know. And uh, as we're finding out, sometimes it's better to just 
If you can just get these people around you, become their friend, which may be different than friend zoning. Someone's like, oh, yeah, they put me in the friend zone. It's like, the you know, they gave me the death sentence. I have the plague. So if you've been friend zoned, that's hard. But uh, let me give you some. Uh, first of all, let's talk about some interesting facts about romantic dating. There was a great article uh, published um, by Todd Cashton, Ph.D., um, that's talking about dating. Ten interesting facts about romantic dating. For example, in fact, this is really interesting. And Ben, you ought to be listening because this is maybe you know this could help you. Just I'm not saying that. You need the help, but this might help. It's just really important. Understood. Uh, you ready? You ready? Uh, Americans report $43 is the average amount people spend on their first date. Uh, ben, what's your first date? What's your average first date cost you? What does that set you back? Well, I mean, there's probably like $2 of gas, and then <laughs> we go dumpster diving at McDonald's. Okay. And so it's free. Yeah, like, it's, it's free. Yeah. It's about well, a $2 date. Well, and then how much does the like the tetanus shot cost? That's got to that's got to throw you back. Do you really think you 20. need one? Okay, no, that's actually why you don't have second dates. Yeah, because they're all dead. So forty three dollars is the average first date uh, money spent. Now again, this is probably not teenagers or college students. Maybe it's probably you know people out of college that have a job. Forty nine percent of people say that that the man should pay. Forty nine percent say the man should pay. Followed by uh, whoever asked for the date. 31% of the people say whoever asked for the date should pay. So if the ladies are asking, they should be paying. But basically roughly less than half now today feel like men should pay. It used to be, you know, I bet that 10, 20 years ago, 80% thought that. Only 14% believe that the first uh, that the, on the first date that you should split the bill. Only 14% believe that. Only 1% of Americans say the women should pay the bill versus 2% in 2014. So anyway, men are are real romantics. Past Valentine's Day, men plan to spend an average of $380. Come on. That's crazy. Uh, There are some financial problems on dates. Your date uh, contests the bill. 49% agreed. So if, if your date doesn't want to pay the bill... What what are you supposed to do? I would walk out if my if I was at a table and I, let's say that the woman I was dating said she was going to pay the bill and then she said she wouldn't pay the bill. I would just walk out and leave her there. I just say I'm going to get the car. Isn't that crazy? Who doesn't do that? Um, it's just sad. People are sad. Here's some other advice. When it comes to dating, one of the things, and and I I sit down with a lot of people and coach them on their dating, but I I also coach them on their marriages and (laughs) even after they're married and if it doesn't succeed. So from beginning to end, we coach them. But overall, what I believe is I think a lot of people get into the single world and they all say they want to get married. But then they don't do a lot of things that actually get them on dates. So somebody you know is out there dating, but they're not actually – they say they're dating. They want a date, but they're not getting very many dates. I'm going to bet they're doing something to actually sabotage their own dating life. 
I uh, I saw some clients just recently, and I was talking to him about their dating life, and his first comment is very strong that I I'm doing everything I can to get married, and I'm like, oh really? So like like what? Well, I mean, I I'm on Tinder, and then we sat down and saw how he thumbs through Tinder so quickly, eliminating literally ninety percent of the people on Tinder, and um, what else are you doing? Ah, oh, well, I mean, I've I've done other stuff, you know, this and that. Really, like, so when you say this and that, what what are you, what are you doing? I mean, I've gone, I go to, I've gone, and I go on occasion to meet to meetings, singles, singles activities, kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you do you ask girls out on dates? Eh, I mean, I go out. I go out once a month, easy, probably once every two months. Why? Do you ask people out a lot? Well, I used to. I used to do a lot, and I don't as much. So the more we talked, the more we found out that he's just not really doing anything. But why then is he pretending and saying to everybody that he wants to get married? Because it seems like if he wanted to get married, wouldn't he be doing more than that? So one of the first keys, if you if you want to date and get married and, and find the love of your life— be real with yourself. Notice what you say versus what you do. It's kind of the people that say they want a really good job, but they, they don't necessarily do anything about it. Somebody that says that they want to find their soulmate, but then, you know, is home playing video games. You're not going to find your soulmate playing video games. Well, I mean, I, I like to play video games because it helps me maintain my social life. Really? So you play with a lot of other people? Oh, yeah. Well, I play with five people. Oh, really? Are they men or women? Oh, they're all men. So do you want to marry a man or are you looking, what's the deal? If you want to marry a woman, then wouldn't you need to play video games with women? Well, yeah, but I don't know any women that play video games at the level we play video games. So then, okay, then, but be, be real with your story. Don't pretend like your video game is the way to your date. As long as you have a dueling commitment where you're saying one thing out of your mouth and you're living another thing out of your heart, you're just kidding yourself. But you keep telling the story like it's real, and eventually you actually believe that you're trying. But a lot of times we don't. We're not. There's a, there was a disease in the mountains here in Utah years ago where the fish up in the lakes would get this disease called whirling disease. And sadly, these the fish would be afflicted with whirling disease, and it was a neurological disorder, and they'd kind of just swim in circles. And a lot of times I found that in the singles world, it ends up having this same kind of whirling disease effect, where people get into a singles group or a singles church setting or a singles you know uh, dating scene, and they just kind of go in there and whirl. They spin. And I imagine that if if, if a normal healthy fish swam into a a lake full of whirlers, they might think, oh, man, these guys are busy. Look at them just moving. Wow. They're all busy looking to find somebody. But really, they've been whirling in the same hole for the last 10 years. So if you want to quit whirling, you got to identify if you've got whirling disease. Usually the healthiest fish I know swim into certain pools. They'd maybe take a few laps and they swim out. They're not there to stay. So if you start noticing you're camping out in the singles world, you're camping out in the single sites, you're going to the same bar with the same people, and you all kind of whirl, 
you might pretend like we're trying to find somebody, but eventually you might want to try others. And one of my approaches, and it's going to sound crazy, but it kind of comes from just a little bit of my marketing background. If you want to get married, you need people. You need people around you. And if you don't have people around you, and if you're not connecting and meeting more and more people, then this isn't going to work. It's all about the numbers. So if you're going to be on Tinder, try to not eliminate people from your pool. Well, I know, but I just don't find her attractive. Well, what don't you find attractive about that one picture, that one second decision you made? I don't know. I just kind of go with my gut. Well, be careful going with your gut because your gut may actually not want you to get married because you'd have to change a lot of your life. So you got to be super careful. And um, if you're not, yeah, but I, careful. Don't just eliminate people from your life because you're not attracted to them. We just learned in the study that if you get enough people around you and they start to find out your talents and your interests and your sense of humor and all of these other great gifts that you've got, they will eventually find you more attractive. So somebody that would eliminate you immediately may not eventually eliminate you as quickly if they just have some time with you. Make sense? So exclusionary criteria. And in our studies and when when researchers are doing studies, they need to get as many people as they can in their sample group. So they've got to be really careful how they exclude people and make sure they're excluding people for the right reason. So the problem with Tinder is we tend to have... We tend to exclude a lot more people than probably we should. So this one guy that was just thumbing through everybody on Tinder and eliminating as many people as he could, he thought for some reason that that would increase the likelihood of him finding his soulmate. The problem was every time he eliminates somebody, he shrinks his pool of potential candidates. And he shrinks and he shrinks and he shrinks and he shrinks. So one of my rules is leave people in for as long as you can because you don't need to decide if you want to marry them or not until you've dated them. So until this person has asked you out on a date, why are you eliminating them? I know so many people that are like, I never have anybody that is even showing interest in me. And then if I go in and find out why, it's because they've eliminated them at every turn. So my goal is get as many people as you can to just text you. So from Tinder, your only goal is to get as many people as you can chatting you up or texting you. Or if you're going to do this on Match.com or eHarmony or whatever site, chat them up. Get as many people as you can texting you and chatting you. Because for every 10 that you can get chatting, you might be able to get one that you can get on the phone. 10 chatting get leads to one on the phone. And if you know that from one on the phone, you need eventually four people on the phone to get a date then you need to have 40 people chatting that leads to four people that leads to one date. That's how we do marketing. That's what's crazy about my life. I just know I need to do a little marketing. And if I know I need to get 40 people to do this to, to eventually get four people to a class, which eventually gets, you know, whatever, one to buy whatever, it's marketing 101. I know it's cold. I mean, it'd be better to just know that your soulmate is just right there. That you just filled out a little form and bada boom, bada bing, out of nowhere, God delivered a soulmate. I don't believe in soulmates, folks. I believe you need to become the best partner, not just go find them. 
And I think the more you're dating, the more you're connecting to people, the better skills you're going to get. We'll take a break, come back, continue the Coach's Corner Dating Tips 101 from Dr. Matt after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Coach Matt here doing a Coach's Corner on dating, dating 101. And I know it sounds like I'm just like I'm taking all the romance out of dating. But let me give you some straight shooting here. You will never get married if you are not around humans. So you can pretend till you are blue in the face that you will eventually have an angelic experience where somebody will swoop in and just want you, it's just not likely because we we marry who we hang out with. We marry who our friends are. We marry the people we're around. So my rules are very simple. You need more people around you. You need to exclude fewer and get people around you. Now, here's the cool principle about it. Yeah, but these people are obnoxious. Sure they are. And when you get to hang out with some obnoxious people, it strengthens your abilities and your skills and your tools. It also gives you experience in how to handle an obnoxious person. It might allow your strengths to come out. It might allow you to um, handle somebody that's kind of difficult. And by doing all of that, you become better. And when you become better, you become a better candidate for when this great person arrives, you'll know how to handle them. Or they'll get to see you handling the really difficult person. And when they see how you handle the difficult person, that might make that you more attractive to them. So you're not going to learn communication skills and relationship skills in a vacuum. You have to learn them in the field. So my rule is get out in the field and date and get as many people as you Well, nobody asked me to date. Great. Get online. Start getting as many people as you can. Risk chatting them up, texting them, sending them a wink, whatever you, whichever program you're using, and just see if you can get them chatting or texting. From getting them texting, see if you can get some of them on the phone. From those that you get on the phone, eventually go out on a date. Be careful when you go out on a date with these people. Some of them are crazy. Most of them are great. When you go on a date, make it safe. Go have a lunch together. Make it a one-hour lunch. You got to go back to work, middle of the day, public place. Pretty basic stuff, right? It's all basically going to be numbers. If you get 10 chatting, honestly, you'll get 50% of them on the phone. Of the 50% of the, uh, those on the phone, 50% of those on the phone will eventually turn into a date. So the numbers are pretty basic. Well, when does, when does just, you know, when does the unicorn carrying the, the cherub that shoots an arrow into my heart, when does that come? Never. What comes is that you're going to go have a bunch of dates with a bunch of people that are you're going to think, man, these people are messed up. And what you're going to learn is how to be cordial and how to be nice and how to show character and how to be a good person and how to communicate and how to break up and how to say not interested. And all of those skills will get you ready and prepared. And then guess what will happen? Bada boom, bada bing. Then out of all of these people will emerge a really cool person. That at first you might totally be head over heels with, or you may just realize this one is really cool. 
because I feel really good about myself when I'm with this person. And then uh, this friendship grows, and that's how you fall in love. If you think you're going to just do it without having to go through the su- the suffering of the dating, you're setting yourself up. I do not believe in soulmates. I don't believe in them. I believe you need to work to become the best person you can be, and then I believe you'll find somebody that's that, that can work. And I'm telling you, there's one out there for everyone. They're there. There are people out there for everyone. I truly believe that. And the longer I live, the more I'm meeting. And I'm like, oh, man, have I got a guy for you. Um, so think about it, folks. Don't just go off of the looks. I promise it will eventually let you down. Sometimes the, the, some of my clients that are the most beautiful are the most messed up. And some of the ones that are the kind of the more homely that no one would ever just choose initially are the most beautiful souls you've ever met. So at some point, there's got to be a deeper, deeper goal here, right? Anyway, it's fairly basic, but don't be a whirler. If you keep whirling and you, you keep telling everybody you want to get married, but you're not doing anything about it, and don't just think what you've always been doing for the last 10 years is going to keep working. I mean, it will if you wait 50 more years. It'll all come around and it'll work again. But keep changing your game. Keep learning. Keep risking. Keep being vulnerable. Put it out there. Put it out there. Anyway, that's Coach's Corner. I know. It's basic. And you're out there thinking, yeah, you don't know me. Yeah, I don't. If you want to argue that you're so difficult and different, then keep arguing that. The problem is it's not going to get you married. It's not even going to get you dating. You know. Make a friend first. Make a long-term relationship second. Start it out that way. We'll uh, take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. I promise it's out there. Stick with us. We'll be right back after the news and the headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Hey, happy Corn Fritters Day. <laughs> Happy Corn Fritters Day. You know, who would think that you'd need a Corn Fritters Day, but we have one. Because on this show, we want to give you all the options. All the options you need. Corn Fritters Day is a celebration of comfort food and simple cooking with some corn, egg, flour, milk, and melted butter. Anyone can throw together a batch of these side dish favorites. What what exactly is a corn fritter? A corn. I know what an apple fritter, fritter is. It's, it's a donut. Type it's thing. like a doughy blob. Is it like a roll? It's like a roll. It could be. Some could be a roll. It's like a a biscuit. It's like a biscuit. It's like a squished biscuit. Less biscuity. Maybe more potato cor- pancakey. It's kind of potato pancakey. Okay. Hash brownie. Mm. Biscuity. Kind of in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. Is it good with ketchup? Probably. Good with everything? Isn't ketchup good with everything? I found it to be. Ah, oh, there's a... I'm just looking at pictures. Fried mozzarella corn fritters. Mmm. Mmm. Sounds <sighs> ar- artery clogging. 
You, by the way, you can spice them up and make them your own. Some people put sardines in, mm. chocolate chips. <laughs> I like chocolate chips in my corn fritters. Anyway, more of a, more of a dessert, isn't it? it? It really is. Happy corn fritter day! Thank you. You didn't even did you? You didn't even know it was corn fritter day until oh, you when I, I looked at it that. at like six o'clock this morning when I gave it to you. I went, huh? Corn did fritters. You, I think we ought to celebrate. I mean, I think if our boss Don loved us, right. He'd somehow go find corn fritters. He'd us. have a deep fryer out there in the office. And <laughs> have Would some that not be fritters. funny if he was out there with his little apron on, frying up some corn fritters? Um, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Say, we got a great show for you today. Kim Giles will be on the phone, or actually uh, in studio today, talking with us about kindness and how do you teach your kids to be kind? It's hard. Sometimes kids say the darndest things, and you're like, ugh. Got to be kind, son. How do you teach your family kindness? Because if we could start at home, maybe we could impact the lives of more people, right? Create more kindness on this great big ball of mud. So we'll be talking about that with Kim Giles. And uh, then we'll be talking to the guys from Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Well, more if they're doing a show. Yeah, we got to find out if they're doing their show. It's the daily check. It's funny because, you know, a lot of people just always do their show. But we're always wondering. And then what's amazing is they're always doing it. So, Do you think there'll be a day where they say, nope, we're not doing it? <laughs> no. I think that that, that, just, that actually just happened because there was some funeral or something we were airing. So. Oh, right. But, Remember that. Yeah, sad day. Anyway, let's go to the headlines. Terry South filling in for Kathy Aiken. President Barack Obama telephoned Russian President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday to thank him for his part in the recent nuclear deal with Iran. The White House said the president thanked President Putin for Russia's important role in achieving this milestone, the uh, nearly 20 months of intense negotiations. As Russia was part of uh, that team, it added that Obama and Putin agreed to remain close and in touch as the Iranian deal is implemented and would work together to reduce tensions in the Middle East particularly in Syria. Russia, one of the six major powers negotiating the deal, along with, uh, what, Germany, the European Union, China, Britain, and France. Israeli Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, not so much on board with the plan. Not liking that one. They have decided that they want to wipe Israel off the map. If somebody says, I'm going to destroy you, you know, what you want to do is make sure they can't. So it's not a question of not talking to the Iranians. It's a question of what they... What they say about us, they're the enemy of peace in the world. They're your enemies. Don't empower your enemies. Don't empower your enemies. That can be used in all sorts of aspects of life. That's a great. That's a, put that on your bumper sticker. <laughs> he, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu says he will be contacting his powerful friends in the U.S. Congress to see if they can uh, try to slow down this deal. Or stop it. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> it's going to try. <laughs> okay. NASA unveiled several new photos of Pluto and its moons on Wednesday, courtesy of New Horizons, the first spacecraft to fly successfully by Pluto. Not that they've ever tried to go out that far. Did you know what? that the probe is about the size of a grand piano? Yes. Or that about 30 times yesterday. <laughs> a grand piano. Okay. In weight or in size? Size. Does it have piano keys? No. That would have been cool. It does have a a letter and some ashes. Okay, that's true. A close-up of Pluto's equator region surprisingly shows no impact craters, indicating the surface is less than 100 million years old, one of the youngest surfaces ever seen in the solar system. The photo also showed mountains likely composed of water and ice that are as high as the Rocky Mountains. Wow, that's cool. Just really tall mountains. It's only a million years old? Is that what we found out? Some of the land. 
they cool. feel. So it's pretty young. Eleven planes are struck by lasers approaching Newark Airport in New yeah. Jersey. Eleven commercial flights uh, hit by these lasers Wednesday night as they flew over Jersey between 9 p.m. and 10.30 Eastern, according to the FAA. The planes began reporting the laser incidents about six miles from the airport. There were no injuries reported. The FAA is investigating points. Pointing a laser into a cockpit is a federal crime that carries a maximum of five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Mm. The uh, last guy that did this, they tracked him down following the, you know, they looked at it. They said, well, if we're going to shoot a laser, it's going to hit at this point. It needs to be this high. And they went right to the guy's window, <laughs> went into his house. They're searching. His mom's like, I don't know where I, I don't think he has any of that kind He's of stuff. He's standing at the window. <laughs> it was in a box of cereal, I believe, on top of the fridge. They pull it out. It was this massive, like, industrial laser about the size of a roll of quarters, I guess. But it was pretty big, pretty powerful. They say the green laser is more dangerous because the eye can pick up that color better than it can with a red laser. So, uh, so don't what use... they need to do is have lasers on the airplane. And so the minute the guy <laughs> shoots the laser, the pilots can fire can lasers fire right back. back. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be kind of fun. Granted, he is trying to land the airplane at the time. So no, it's that's what busy. the co-pilot's for. Okay, gotcha. Let the co-pilot shoot the guy. <laughs> They're kind of busy. They just send one missile over there. Disney has unveiled plans for its first park in mainland China, scheduled to open next year. It'll be Disney's largest park in the world, six themed lands in this park. Wow. Disney chairman and CEO Bob Ilger Ilger showed models of the new Shanghai Park at the Shanghai Expo Center. The new park is set to have a distinctly Chinese influence. We are building something truly special here in Shanghai that not only showcases the best of Disney, uh, storytelling, but also celebrates and incorporates China's incredibly rich heritage. Hmm. So cool. that could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, if you're flying on a Russian airline. Yeah. No, I'm not planning to. Well, just if you do. Yeah. Um, a quick mouth scan could become a reality of airport security after the a budget carrier planned uh, is banning all chewing gum on flights. Why? Because it's gross. <laughs> People stick the gum on chairs. So, they, so you have to now show your mouth. Apparently, if that if uh, that does get implemented, yes. Uh, could you lift your tongue, please, sir? Scraping off each glob of gooey mass left behind by passengers costs the airline roughly $1,700, they say, a flight. Bull. That's not... Are they that bad in... Appar- I, that's, I, so it says, stop sticking your sticky saliva slabs <laughs> everywhere, people. <laughs> Holy cow. It is a problem. I remember in elementary school, the end of the school year, the janitors would go in the lunchroom Flip up all, all the, the the lunch tables, scrape off the ball of gum, Ugh. and have this almost like a small basketball size of gum because of all the gum left over by the kids. See, that's crazy, man. So Russia's that's a big problem. Yeah, that could bring Russia to its knees. <laughs> it could. So, what led to the demise of Russia? Chewing gum. Chewing gum. Thousand dollars a flight. Crazy. Oh, wow. Okay, well, let's solve some other problems then on this show. We're going to take on kindness. How do you teach your kids to be more kind? Well, that's the question we will be posing to Kim Giles, uh, one of the great coaches that we bring on the show um, from Clarity Point Coaching. She's here to teach us that great art of kindness. Really, the world could be kinder, right? Gentler, as President Bush said, the kinder, gentler. We're going to take a break. We'll come right back, focusing on kindness right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles is joining us. She's the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching, a very popular life coach named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America in 2010. Uh, she's published over 240 articles and uh, newspaper magazine articles. She's done it all and pulled in a 70-pound halibut. How cool are you? <laughs> yes. You deep uh, sea fishing, deep sea fishing cool. in Alaska. Your, your arms look huge now. I built up some muscle. It's reeling. a lot of work, isn't it? It is. But you'll have halibut forever. Yeah. I love gonna halibut. It's going to take us a couple years. Isn't that cool? That. And then what else did you catch? Some salmon? I caught... Uh, some salmon. I caught some, a ling cod. Uh-huh. That's this five foot fish that looks like a dinosaur right out of Jurassic Park. Kind of dragon. Did you keep that looking. one? Looking, we kept that one. Is that just cod? It's supposed to be different and and amazing, but huh. I haven't cooked it yet. We just got Gosh. our fish yesterday, so oh, we're going to be cooking fish. That is so cool. I am jealous, jealous. So, uh, friends, be kind. Somebody wrote to you and said, "Look, how do I teach my kids to be kind?" And you have all this advice. Well, I, this is a big deal this to is me. Hard. There's nothing I want from my children more than them to be kind to people and to kind to each other. Yeah, please. I want kind children. That that yeah. matters to me. And the lady who wrote in said she could tell in her family, even the adults had a tendency to gossip mm-hmm. and kind of judge people. And, and so the kids obviously are Pick picking up. up on this and they're learning to not be kind. And it's an advantage in this world to just naturally be kind. Absolutely. You'll do better in everything you do. Especially, yeah, just your self-esteem, you your self-worth. If you don't have to look to gossip and find fault with everybody. Well, and I find good self-esteem and a tendency to be kind usually go together. Mm. It's usually the people who are struggling with some self-esteem issues and and we find what happens when you've got fear that you're not good enough, you have a tendency without even consciously realizing you're doing it to look for the bad in everyone else. Because if you can see bad in others and really cast them as, oh, my gosh, look how bad they yeah. are. They're the bad guy here. It subconsciously makes you feel like you must be the good guy or better than them. And it temporarily kind of helps your self-esteem. Interesting. Yeah, but in so the long fake. run, it doesn't help your self-esteem because what you're really doing is giving power to this idea that people can be bad and not good enough. Right. And some people are better than others. And your giving power to that idea is going to, in the end, come back to you and you're going to worry that you're never good enough too. That's true. So, so – and, and you think about the world today more than ever. There's so many – people that just need kindness. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It just seems like everyone's kind of more fragile in certain ways today. I think it's the biggest need in our world. When I look at everything that's going on on our planet right now, most of the problems are based in the fact that we see other people as less than us. Yeah. We see ourselves as better. We judge. We're, we're dividing ourselves into all of these groups by all these categories, and and it's the us versus them. And the more we do that, the more conflict and hate we create right. on the planet. So I'm a really big believer that the most important thing we can teach our children is that all human beings have the same value. It doesn't matter where they are, what they've learned in their journey. Our intrinsic value is the same. That's cool. And to teach them to never see another human being as less than them. How do you how do you do that? How do you start teaching them to do that? I mean, do you just 
I mean, it's one thing to say it. I guess they have to see it in you too, right? You got to lead it. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is by example. If you live that and you talk about it often, I encourage my clients to make this a core principle of truth in their life that all human beings have the same value. And there's a hundred teaching moments a day with my kids where we see people who are different and somebody makes a comment about that person. And it's a chance to say, okay, guys, remember they're different from us. But all human beings have the same value. We're not any better than anybody else. They're just on a different journey. They haven't learned the things you've learned. They come from a different place. But we've got to be teaching that Uh as just a a core principle of truth in our families every day. And you know what? It's so funny about it is it seems like it's so old-fashioned. This is like as – this is as old as the earth. To just is kindness. Be kind. Don't you think that was like one of the first lessons taught to man? Well, kindness. And, and no matter what background you come from, yeah. no matter what religion, this is a core tenet yeah. of your belief system yeah. is to be kind. But yet we struggle with it, and then and then we, we really struggle with even it. even into adulthood. You're like, you get it; it's a good principle. But and then we start gossiping. Yeah. So. Like I said, by example, most important thing, we need to watch ourselves because Mm -hmm. subconsciously we judge and we look for the bad and we're doing it to make ourselves feel better. And I try to watch and catch myself if I'm ever even having a thought about someone in a judgmental place. I've got to remember, okay, that's just my ego wanting to me to feel better about mm. myself. So we got to catch ourselves. So anytime you're bringing someone else down, even if it's just in your head. You're starting to just try to get hierarchy. You're trying to gain position. You're, yeah, you're trying to feel better than other people. If you're, you're even going down yeah. that path, and so. that's not there's no need. You don't need to tear someone down to feel better. You have to find a way to feel better without tearing them down. Well, and and the same principle, believing that all people have the same value, means you're okay. Yeah, you have the same value as every person on the planet. And and I really believe that that's we're here great. to learn. Life's a classroom. Yeah. It's not a test. Your value isn't in question. You're okay. Yeah. You Relax. don't need to put other people down to feel good about yourself. It's so, so true. That would be the number one thing, of course, is lead by example. Yeah. Actually work on your own compassionness. Make sure you never gossip or put people down. And I have to admit, I come from a family um, that likes to tease yeah, and we do joke. Too. Yeah. And I, of course, I know you. It's You're my the wife. biggest tease I, I used ever. To not, no, I'm not. I'm the second biggest. My wife's the biggest tease. Really? Not really. She's no, insane. No one's bigger tease She's than you. I, I don't believe that. That's true. <laughs> it's totally true. <laughs> but don't you think a lot of times in the in being funny, oh. we joke and gossip and you yeah, jab, there's it's jabs. A, it's a jab. You could totally stab somebody. We got to watch that. Oh, totally. Because and, and sarcasm and yeah, you got to be, you got to lift with your humor, not tear down. Tear down. So we got to really watch ourselves because if your kids hear you making jokes about people, yeah, yeah, totally, you're, you're teaching them not to be kind for sure. So yeah, I just kind of discourage teasing. Make sure your teasing doesn't have a jab of truth behind it. And that's hard because that's most humor has a jab of truth. Yeah. But you just have to learn not to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I found. Sometimes humor about like humor about somebody's not as funny. That's rude. You know, making fun of somebody's rude. But humor like towards yourself. If it's everybody laughs at that. Everybody thinks it's funny to laugh at that. But 
you got to be careful still yeah, because you you could take yourself down okay. to, right yeah yeah but i huge. think there's a line and and i know i've had clients that are very sarcastic and i've tried to get them to recognize mm-hmm. the downside oh it's huge it hurts people and they're if i get rid of sarcasm i have no personality yeah, left yeah i have lost my identity <laughs> so this is a little it's, it's a challenge for a lot of us but i think it's one to work on and why don't we replace it with praising people instead and spend our days really looking for good in people that we can praise. Um, I've realized recently my husband and I have some really strong differences of opinion on, in certain areas, Was this especially on your, like did you political. Do this? Oh, did you? In your Alaska trip, probably. You had a lot of time to talk. So you're like, <laughs> wow, we're different. Well, so instead of being frustrated that he doesn't think the way I think, I've been trying to like look for the good in his perspective uh-huh. because there is some redeeming value in his core beliefs that make him see the world sure. the way he does. And the more I look for the good, <laughs> and, and it's there. Yeah. If you look, you will find it. It's always, you always there. You find what you look for. Yeah. Um, I also want to encourage my children to see beauty in the differences in people. Mm. Because that's one of the things we use to separate and divide ourselves from other people. But in reality, those are so beautiful that people are come in such a variety of yeah. A, a spectrum. And... It's not, yeah. It's like there's beauty. It's not just black and white, but there's beauty in grays and every other color in between. Right. It's so powerful. We need to teach them to look for the beauty in those things, and also look for the things that connect us with people who are different, instead hmm. of just the things that separate us. And what if you could point out in something, someone's argument that you don't like, point out what you do like, and show your kids that there is a this is a good thing. Yeah. And if they could see it, that's part of kindness, I guess. So one of the ones in our family that's been this big dividing thing is do you bleed blue or red? Yeah, BYU (laughs) or Utah, University of Utah. And, you know, in this valley, the other team is the enemy. (laughs) And if we find out they cheer for the red team, I mean, they're the scum of the earth. Oh, yeah. Well, why would you? They're bad people. People from the dark side. (laughs) And they hate us, and uh-huh. there's such a hate behind it, and it drives me crazy because I don't want my kids to think <laughs> any division is an excuse to see other people yeah. as the enemy and make them that worse funny? than us. But every and every state has a rivalry, so this is everywhere. Or every everywhere. high school, look, I hate every people town. from that. I know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. New York, New Jersey, come on. Well, and we do it with even things like are you a Coke or Pepsi person uh-huh. or Mayo or right. America Whip right. person. I mean, all kinds of crazy preferences well, that we see them as the stupid ones because they like this other thing. Yeah, and gender and race and uh, orientation. And political party. Political party. I mean, you name it. And so it's really our – this is really our attempt to – Differentiate and to try to feel special and important and better. So remember, anytime yeah. you're casting any other group for any reason as less than you because they're different, this is something you want to be aware of. This is your ego yeah. taking Kicking over in. here, and it's and owning you. Not going to serve you. We're talking with Kim Giles, uh, president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. She's teaching us about how to be kinder, a kinder, gentler. See, that was George Bush said that a kinder, gentler. Republican Party. Compassionate conservatism. Well, we all teach it. We all do, don't we? We all teach. We, we, this, is, this is universal. Kindness. We'll come back more with Kim Giles. We're going to learn how to keep doing this. How do we teach our kids? How do we model it? How do we change? 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us today, Kim Giles, president of and founder of Clarity Point Coaching. If you go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com, you can get uh, take her fear assessment, get information about all of her programs. She's the real deal, folks. And she's joining us today talking about how we teach our children to be kind, which is, I think really is, it's probably one of the most universal important skills our kids could learn. Kindness. It'll take them far in every area of your of their life. They'll do better at work. They'll do better at home. And they'll just feel better about themselves because they're not. Everything's not a competition. Yeah, I I think it, it. You like who you are when you know you're a nice person. You take some pride in that. And I think one of the important things with kids is we need to look for kindness. And when they do, yeah, do something kind, out. better make a big deal yeah. of it. And and I even want to watch for too much praise about what they look like or what they do because uh-huh. if all the praise we're giving them is you won you did good or you look cute today they start to think that's who they are and i want them to think their kindness is mm. really the core of who they are yeah so we got to point that out a lot even if they're just kind with a friend point that out and they might bring it home or if you're when you see them kind with their brother Pointed out, like that was a big deal. I really like how you took care of your brother right there. Yeah, a matter of fact, this works really well with teenagers. Even, Does it? Okay. Because I've got a house full of them right now, and I've noticed the more that I point out, you know, you're just such a compassionate person. I love how considerate you are. I watch that in you, and I'm amazed by just what a sweet, kind person you are. I've literally turned a teenager that was starting to be a little. Yeah. Um, Teenagerish, yeah. Like, why did you look at Ben right when you said that? Because that's ironic. We always look at Ben whenever we think of teenagers. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I know. It was subconscious. Um, but but I've but yeah, seen you... my daughter start to take this pride in the fact that she's such a considerate person, and she tries to be that even more all the time because I've made her think that's who she is. Yeah. So we we can have that kind of influence on even older children. Not amazing. Just what you focus on will grow. Absolutely. If you'll just focus on it. That's cool. So another one, I, I'm a kind of a student of human behavior because I'm a people sure. skills expert. This yeah. is what I talk on. So we're always kind of watching people. Yeah. And I want my children to become more compassionate about why people behave badly. So when we see someone behaving badly, instead of judging or criticizing them, I like to step back and say, I wonder what's going on in that person's life, you guys. Don't you think they probably have been walked on and hurt so much in their life that now that they're kind of defensive and they're quick to attack and be mean to other people, but it's because they're trying to protect themselves. Can you guys see how their fear makes them behave badly? And isn't that we, we can then gain compassion yeah. for the person instead of just judging them. So be a people watcher. Help your children start to understand that it's hurt people who hurt people. Mm-hmm. And and take the place of other. Like Put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Kind Why of. would you – how could somebody get so far that they would do that? What would have to be going on? That's a neat human trait if we let it – if we kind of guide our kids there. And once they've got that, that's probably one of the most 
powerful leads to empathy and and compassion is just being able to see it from your frame of reference. Right. How cool is that? Don't you find with all adults, we have all these yeah. adults that haven't learned to mm-hmm. do that and it's really causing and problems. And, and they actually have anger and energy that they feel justifies why they're this – why they, they – it feels right. Right. Well, what am I supposed to do? Just think everyone's great and just be taken advantage of? Well, they haven't no. learned how to look at yeah. things from a different perspective. So we can really help our kids change their whole lives if you can teach them this while they're young. Um, I think as an adult, apologizing when I'm wrong is and, – and maybe that's weird that I'm relating this to kindness. But I think it's showing that it's okay to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And it helps our children have more compassion for people who make mistakes if we let them see that it happens to everybody. None of us are perfect. We're all students in the classroom of life, and we just apologize when we're wrong and do better next time, I think it does increase compassion if they see that behavior. I see parents who are trying to convince their children that they are perfect, (laughs) they're never wrong, and that's what you're putting out. So shut up and listen. There's just not compassion behind that as much. It's such a good point. Um, I also like to teach my children to cheer for other people's successes instead of be jealous because we have a tendency to tear down people. I I want to have my children watch and see that I don't tear down people who are rich or successful or because that's a yeah. common thing yeah. that we kind yeah. of criticize. It's not about them, is it? Again, it goes back to your very first point. It's about you. You're valuable. You don't need to tear someone down to increase your value. Not a bit. You're you're already there. In fact, you only you only impact your sense of value when you tear people down. So I want to celebrate the wins of other people. Isn't that awesome for them that they're that they've been able to create that and cheer for that instead of ever mm. tearing people down for those things? It's cool. Um, I also in my article I teach this technique. I used to call it the sneaky technique, <laughs> but we changed it. We call it the encouragement technique. Okay. And this is kind of what I was talking about with my teenager. If you've got adult children, you really can't teach them to be kind in quite the same way. So if if the ship has sailed and you now have these adults in your life who are unkind, the way the encouragement technique works is you, you look for opportunities to tell them how much you appreciate what a kind person they are and that you never hear them say a bad thing about another person. Now... Even though at some level this sounds like lying because they're not being that way, I don't consider it lying. I consider it that you're seeing the highest best in them even though they're not not showing it yet. You know it's in there. That's cool. So you tell them, I see this person who's kind and I I just love that about you. And what naturally happens is people want to live up to your highest opinion of them. And if they think, oh, my mom sees me as somebody who never gossips – then, they're not going to gossip around you, or the, and they're going to try to be that person that you see in them. That's so true, huh? And this works with spouses, with with anybody. If you, if you give them encouragement by just seeing this good in them, they will rise to the occasion. They'll change themselves. They'll want to be that person. And it's a really loving way to get someone to change. And it's it's kinder. It's gentler. I mean, again, that's, I guess, the whole thing to the kindness is you're just trying to elevate people to being their very best self. So just focus on that. Focus on their best. Instead, Let them know that's what the you opposite. see in them. Because yeah. being unkind is focusing on what when we don't see that. Right. That's tough. And, and I think as parents, a lot of parents try to get our kids to behave better by criticizing. Uh-huh. 
pointing out the faults and yeah. kind of nagging, and really that does not motivate Mm-mm. them to behave better. It sometimes makes them passive aggressive and want to behave worse. So we really find if you just praise them, you'll be amazed at how much they will continue the good behavior. <laughs> Kindness creates kind of elevation. It elevates people. That's cool. It works. You're good. Kim Giles, you did it again. That's why you're one of the top 20. In fact, the, the probe that just flew by Pluto, they identified that you were one of the top advice gurus on Pluto too. On Pluto too. Wow. They saw your billboard. That's, I'm going to have to start you're using out that of this, my marketing. You're out of this amazing. universe. Oh, Matt. You're amazing. You really are, Kim. You did it. You're great. Keep up the good work. Everybody go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. Take the fear assessment. Just start, just start searching it. Tons of information there. And she's back. She'll be back every other week. And, you know, if you're lucky, you might get some halibut. Uh, we'll take a break, actually. Come back. Talk to our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. See what's coming up on their show a little bit later. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to Studio B, our good friends down there at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Hello. Shoot was a good word. I see what you did there with the sports tie-in. Did you see that? You're so clever. Actually, I was thinking of a gun. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is that wrong? Samsonite, I was way off. (laughs) Is that wrong of me? Hey, guys. Oh, in, in celebration of Saturday, September 5th, when BYU plays the Nebraska Cornhuskers, mm-hmm. happy Corn Fritters Day. Seriously? Today's the day of Corn Fritters, uh, where we celebrate Corn Fritters worldwide. What is a Corn, corn fritter? Fritters? What is a Corn Fritter? It's a fritter made of corn. Duh. Well, I, no, I mean, like, what do, you, what do you put inside of it? Do you? you can put anything you want. You can put corn. You can put... Dulce de leche. You can put butter. You can put milk, eggs, flour. It's Jeremy, kind of like... Do you know what dulce de leche is? I love dulce de yes, leche. Yes, I lived in the country with it. <laughs> um, it you can put dulce de leche on your corn fritters. It's yummy. And we're celebrating it today because today is Corn Fritters Day. Corn... Fritters Day. Go it's just. It's amazing. What a, we what, can do better than blessed. that, right? We can do better than Corn Fritters Day. Well, you you could, except today actually is Corn Fritters <laughs> well, Day. It's why July sixteenth. Why is so there a Corn Fritters not. Day? Because there's Corn Fritters, oh. and they deserve a day. Duh. Okay. <laughs> Don't hate. This is I in celebration. Hating. I am hating on Corn Fritters this, Day. Okay, let me, let, me, let me tell you this one, then, because this will change everything. Get rid of Corn Fritters Day. I mean, I know you loved Gummy Worm Day. Mm-hmm. Totally, but, totally knocks Corn Fritters yeah, out of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But check this out. Did you hear about what they're doing with the International Olympics? Four new events in 2018. Did you read this? No. There will be four new events because they're trying to get these young kids to watch the Olympics. So they've added four events. Here they are. Additions like... Uh, big air snowboarding, okay. freestyle skiing, where athletes perform as many jumps as they can in a given time period. Love it. Mass start speed skating, where up to 20 competitors race side yes. by side. Yes. 
<laughs> with sharpened blades, which could get seriously bloody. Yeah, it's like a roller derby. Yeah, I was going right? to say that's that's roller derby just with the shot in the arm. And then if you and I know I know Jerem loves curling, um, just because I've seen I've seen his bumper sticker. Um, but mixed doubles curling. Mixed doubles curling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you play mixed doubles curling? It's it's curling, but you mix it. With who? Men and women on the same team. Oh. It's a totally different game. Okay, so it's even slower you would, you and faster would, at times. Yeah, you would wait to the last one to unveil the mixed doubles curling. Yeah, I'm not Canadian, so I don't really enjoy it all that much. <laughs> nor did I come from, say, the Great Lakes area. But, but you do have a bumper there sticker is curling that says available. Uh, yeah. locally uh, here but in Kearns. That's your car, you though, that says, your car bumper sticker says, we'll curl for food. <laughs> I have attempted to peel that off unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed that. Have either of you ever curled? No. I have, believe it or not. Oh, don't admit that. And it is not easy. Is it hard? Well, I, I think the broom would be the hardest thing. The broom is the fun part. Okay. You're sweeping to like try and. I've oh. done that a lot in my house. Oh, I do that every day. Yeah. Is that the fun part? Because I've tried to figure out what is the fun part. I thought the fun part was like setting the curl down the, fun the ice. The part is the Instagram photo. You're That's trying to it. you're trying to smooth out the right? surface with yeah. the broom yeah. to like decrease any sort of uh, not friction. Tension, friction. Thank yeah. you. Uh, to make it roll just so. And, and trying but, to build up. Yes. Snow to slow it down all that. Telling you what, man, it is Ice. it is really difficult. So I can see why, like, doing it in a com- in competitive, you know, atmosphere would be fun. But I don't know, watching curling, like, it's it's intriguing for a minute, but like for a minute, it's D- like okay. But I'm don't not- you think it would be even more fun if it was mixed? <laughs> mixed uh, genders and races, just to like totally spice. <laughs> yeah, it up. Or we're like Hollywood duos, you know, like they're Angelina gonna mix Jolie genders, and Brad Pitt, and- like. <laughs> That Julian Pitt taking on Clooney and his recent supermodel <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah. Fantastic. See, guys, this is what I'm, I'm worried that you don't bring to your show. You don't bring curling. You need to bring more curling. We're bringing duos today, Said Matt. no one ever. We are bringing, we are bringing <laughs> dynamic duos today. Are you, are you're, mm-hmm. So you're doing your show. That and, we are. And, and you're going to be talking about dynamic duos. Indeed. Like, like quarterback-receiver kind of duos. Oh, it's like you know what we're talking about already. <laughs> No, and I didn't. That's QBs like, and running backs specifically, because mm, today the handoff's uh, very important. Watch uh, award watch list watch continues. What? Okay, we're watching for the watch list. Davey O'Brien, best QB. Taysom Hill is one of twenty-four quarterbacks on that. Jamal Williams, Doak Walker award watch list. He's on that as well. Interesting. No big surprise. Good so that combo. made us think. QB yeah. running back combos. Who are the best? Who it, is the best? Who are is the best? Who are the best in BYU history? In BYU yeah, history. The duo. Well, who's the dynamic who's duo of duos? The best duo. We're going to discuss that today. And we're going to have the last quarterback to lead BYU to a ranked, uh, finish ranked in a season. will be on our show. And uh, a two-time Doak Walker Award watch list. Wow. Guy. What a show. Do we do anything else? You know, we talked about corn fritters on my show. And we're talking about dynamic duos. Corn fritters and dulce de leche. My favorite dynamic duo, Batman Robin. Batman and Robin Candy may milk. or may not be mentioned today. I bet it will be. <laughs> That's a good show, you guys. 
It's serious. It's we're like excited about it. It's like you like this is the one you planned for. Like this is one you've you've like you you all got here on time. Talk there, is, there is also a first happening on the set today, Matt Townsend. What? Jerem Jordan in shorts. Whoa. HR is going to call me in a moment. <laughs> Here's the reason. Hey, Here's live the call. We have we have a we have to we have an event that's requiring us to be outdoors immediately following the show. Mm-hmm. What's so, the event? Jerem preempted it. Wisely, I probably should have done the same thing. I did not. You, you, you're wearing your trousers. I have, yes, I am wearing your trousers. I am wearing pants. <laughs> trousers is that Thank not go- the greatest? Thank goodness, word? <laughs> that is a fantastic word that belongs in the word hall of fame. Trousers, trousers, <laughs> son, get your trousers on. That's great. And and uh, Jerem's choosing not to. And then you guys are going. Aren't you doing a little leg race, a, a three legged race today? Uh, curling outdoors. <laughs> Summer curling. <laughs> There's a lot of green, and then the the stone is white, and we hit it. With That's going to be fun. Oh, is that what you're doing? Maybe. Interesting. It's a, look, it's a tournament. It's a tournament, and we're uh, taking on— It may or may not be golf. And we're taking <sighs> on fellow BYU employees. I did not get the memo. Well, you're not within the parameters, Matt. Okay. It's, it's, uh, so it's not, it's, we're not talking mixed doubles here. Yes, okay. it's BYU TV yeah. Sports versus BYU Athletics. Oh, this is what great. we're what we're playing for is, um, you know, access to the locker room. If we win, then we can do whatever we want. <laughs> that's a big in the locker room before. That's and if good. they win, they get five minutes on the pregame show for football. <laughs> that's every, great. Every, they can every say game. whatever they want. Yeah, every game. Wow. They didn't. They don't know this uh, currently, but they'll know. Do you guys have even a shot? I mean, these are this is the athletic department. Of course, we have a shot. Are you serious? I'm sorry. Was that rude? Of course, we have a shot. My, hey, my mom's calling me. I got to. You I know what? I well, I'll let you go do your show, but I um, I guess I'll I guess I'll just keep my corn fritters up here because I was going to bring you down a plate of them, but you guys got to leave and stuff. So. Hey, but we really need to play golf at some point, Matt. So I know. Mark it down, okay? I'll put it on my. I'll put it in my journal. All right, brother. Thanks, kids. You got it. Have a great show. Good stuff. I'm telling you, that's a good show they got lined up. How come they get all these? They get like NFL athletes, pro. I mean, come on. Come on. We talk about corn fritters. This doesn't seem fair. We always like to end the show, as you know, with a, uh, a, a hero, one of Townsend's heroes, World War II fighter pilot this time. Our hero is Dorothy Olson. An amazing hero is honored today, actually a couple days ago, for her 99th birthday the World War II fighter pilot received an extra special present when vintage aircraft flew over Boeing Field about five miles south of downtown Seattle, honoring Dorothy Olson's 99th birthday. NBC station King reports she was one of about 1,000 female pilots during the war that flew 22 different types of fighter planes from factories to U.S. Air Army Air Force bases from 1943 to 1945. So isn't that funny? We just think of the fighter pilots as the guys that went over, you know, into the Pacific or they went over to Europe and, you know, basically dropped the bombs, fought the war. And yet there was 1,000 female pilots we never hear about that used to fly these planes from the factories to the bases and kind of probably moving around all of the, the planes from base to base. After Olson delivered the plane, male pilots would fly them overseas to combat to combat destinations. She says, I've been lucky, Olson said, admitting to King that she loved the buzzing the planes fast and low to the ground. Who pays attention to the rules when you're a fighter pilot, she said. How cool is that? 99-year-old 
female uh, fighter pilot from World War II. And she's got this line, who pays attention when, to the rules when you're a fighter pilot? Super cool. So Dorothy Olson, uh, way to go. You're our hero of the day. We need heroes, right? We've talked on the show about kindness. We've talked on the show about mental health issues. Just a lot of important stuff that, uh, that tends to, to matter. We also um, got into uh, your dating life, right? So lots of good tools and skills for you. Again, remember the show. We can't do it without you, and we want to be able to, to have you go be able to resource it. We have so many good interviews that if you've missed it, you can't hit all of our show because you're going to and from work. Just go to byuradio.org or go to tune iTunes or tune in and download our podcast. You can look at every podcast, forward the, the podcast on to the people in your life that need it. The resources are there, my friends. Don't uh, don't give up. You can also follow us on Twitter uh, at Dr. Matt, at, at Dr. Matt Show, um, or look us up on Facebook, whatever you have. Folks, appreciate you being here. Again, we'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to give you a leg up on this crazy thing called life. Until tomorrow, take care of yourself. Look out for those you love and make it a great one.